Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning into another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today, we have on a mental health advocate, photographer, straight-up lumberjack, and author of the book, The Happy Hotline, which is available now for purchase on Amazon. The Happy Hotline is a dark psychological novel that deals with mental health and the destructive actions man will take to find meaning in an absurd and lonely world. Joe Cutler, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Now, I kind of threw in that lumberjack thing. So can we talk about that real quick? You're like a, a Ron Swanson in real life. You're like building houses and stuff. Yeah, I'm doing my best, doing my best. Um, yeah, you know, I tried tried the college thing, really kind of decided it wasn't for me. I like being outside, I like working with my body. Um, yes, yeah, so I've gotten into the farming game, done uh, done some of that. I've done Now I'm doing timber frame building up in Western Mass in the mountains out here. And um, yeah, I really enjoy it. It's a good way to use your body, use your brain, do a little carpentry, a little math. Um, yeah, it's a great time. Yeah, we need more. We need more people like you because uh, they don't teach books in <laughs> high school. I'm like a huge wuss when it comes to that type of stuff. Like every time I pick up a piece of wood, I just feel like I'm going to splinter right away. So you're <laughs> ten times more of a man than I am. So I appreciate you uh, going out there and getting that shit done. Yeah, for sure. Well, hopefully we'll uh, we'll build something together one day. Yeah, that would probably be a doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a start. All right. So before we get into the book, can you tell us a little bit of uh, about you and what led you to write such a book? Yeah, for sure. Um, where do I start? So I guess start with my dad. My dad's a journalist. Um, so I grew up around the written word for sure, appreciating it. Um, and yeah, I think it's really, really special that, uh, I mean, he's gotten to write, he's a freelancer. He's gotten to write for the New York Times, for People Magazine, for Jerusalem Post for a long time. It's really special that I think, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have read his stuff over his career. Um, I also think it's kind of a cool legacy thing to, you know, put something out that's printed and, you know, maybe he'll pass on one day, but I'll have, you know, newspapers and stuff that he's written and he'll kind of leave a physical lasting memory of himself, which I think is really cool. So I think that's kind of what what got me onto the writing thing when I was maybe 18, starting to think about it. And then, um, in the last few years, uh, I've kind of tried to concentrate more on the writing and commit myself more to it. Um, yeah, so I could talk about, uh, the story, the idea for this book, if you like. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, what a uh, quick question. When you're outside lumberjack and do you keep a piece of paper on you for writing down ideas? Uh, it's a good question. I feel like, I mean, I got the iPhone, the iPhone's kind of the, uh, the notepad of the 21st century, but, um, a lot of the time my writing process is just kind of walking around and just like going for long walks and just any ideas I get kind of fleshing out chapters, I'll write them down. And then I'm never really sitting down to a blank page. I kind of already have all these notes about things that want to happen. And then, you know, I can start from there and then um, kind of just jump into it. So definitely yeah. being moving is good for the creative process. I think. Yeah. 
Body motion stays in motion. You get your brain working, ideas coming. Yeah, I like it. I, I don't know why I assumed you didn't have an iPhone. Uh, like you just had a piece <laughs> of paper in your pocket just ready to go. Um, but okay, I mean, that's something I aspire to be for sure. Yeah, for sure. I love it though. I love it. Um, well, actually, so jump in the book right now then. So I know that you're supporting the NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and you'll be donating a dollar to them for every book sold, which is awesome, man. I really appreciate that. And the NAMI does some great things. So you picked a a real great organization, but yeah, let's talk more about the book and how you got to that point and why you made a book like this. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, when it comes to NAMI, um, uh, national Alliance on mental illness, one of my good friends, um, his brother, who I become friends with as well. Um, was a big mental health advocate. Um, he had some issues in late high school, early kind of college ages, uh, with mental health and mental illness. Um, I know they helped him a ton, um, when he was hospitalized for kind of, suicidal ideation um and proclivities i guess you would say um so really appreciate the organization i know they do amazing things for a ton of people so i wanted to help contribute to that through the book um yeah so how i came up with the idea of writing the book um i i actually had this little book of challenges that I had some cool stuff in there one was like draw a self-portrait every day for 30 days um, one was like, look at one news story from multiple news sources and kind of evaluate the biases and the different kind of outlooks that each one had. Um, and one of the challenges was to pick your most deeply held belief and then try to challenge that. So my most deeply held belief, just the way I was raised being a uh, Jewish and kind of religious and the way my parents raised me and just who I am is that, um, I deeply believe that life is worth living. There's nothing like, I believe that God created the world. He put me here for a reason, and it's my job to kind of figure out that reason and to to live in a meaningful way, right? So that's just something that's intrinsic to who I am. I think that life's absolutely worth living. So the book is kind of trying to take the opposite approach to that and challenge that idea. Um, so, like, what would it be like if my attitude was that life is not worth living? So the idea kind of just came to me about, like, oh, suicide hotline operator, obviously... Like he's trying to convince people not to live. And then the book was kind of trying to flesh that out. Like, what would that look like? What would his approach be? What would his arguments be? Like, how could you just get the most nihilistic you could get? And, um, and so that's kind of what the book's about. It's about this, um, mental health, uh, this suicide hotline operator who he accidentally leads a car to commit suicide. And then he has this epiphany. Where he's like, oh, damn, like this guy was suffering and miserable and going through all kinds of pain. Maybe it's a good thing that he killed himself. Um, and then he just goes on this crusade of trying to convince everyone to kill themselves. Um, and then the, the kind of st I start a battle kind of where another character comes in and kind of figures out what he's doing and tries to stop him. So then you get kind of the good versus evil is life worth living versus not battle um yeah so that's kind of uh, the ideas for the book how it came about when i looked at the book at first and i don't like judging books by its covers but it's like that could be like almost a horror movie but then i'm like you know that can be turned into like a psychological thriller which is uh very interesting i like that so what was the uh so what was the uh inspiration by the other character joseph where'd you get that from um yes yeah, so so joseph's the guy so jay's the suicide hotline operator yep. joseph's the guy who's going against him and um joseph is i guess he he would kind of be the the more optimistic me and the more truer uh me like for who i am 
kind of represents that um, the the me that believes that life is worth living. So I kind of he starts kind of behind the ball, and he actually had called in to Jay before Jay had his epiphany, and um, so Jay had saved him. So he feels this indebtedness to the this depraved suicide hotline operator, and he kind of his little puppy dog in the beginning with him and it's like, Oh, you're my hero. You're my savior. You like, you're the reason why I'm still here. And then, um, yeah, then he kind of starts to slowly realize that, you know, Jay's kind of turned evil. And so he realizes he has to stop him because he's just convincing all these people to kill themselves. Um, yes, yeah, so I guess the impetus for the character is just, um, is just maybe a deeper sense of myself that maybe like in going into the challenge of writing this book, I had to diminish it a little bit and kind of take a humble approach to that. Like maybe I am wrong. And then I think over the course of the book, he kind of strengthens as I kind of grapple with these nihilistic ideas and eventually hopefully come to a point where I can go back to my original thought being right, but kind of through the battle of those kind of intellectual questions about whether life is worth living. Was it tough doing a topic like suicide when you started writing the book? Were you like nervous about how that could be perceived? Cause that is a touchy subject to go over. Yeah, absolutely. And I wrote, I wrote a forward called uh, please don't kill yourself. And um, yeah, so I, I mean, I wrote the book. It wasn't really in my process while I was writing the book. I was just like, all right, I'm going to tackle this issue. I was personally in kind of a darker place when I wrote it. I was um, coming off a pretty painful breakup. Um, I had a lot of fears, like my parents uh, were divorced, both of their parents were divorced. So I think there's a lot of fears that I'm kind of destined like to to keep living this family legacy out of like not finding love and not having these relationships. So I was in a pretty dark place for myself. Um, so I kind of used the book just to, as a cathartic, just like write it, write it out, back, grapple with these questions. Then after I had the book, I was like, and I want to say, like, I think the book's entertaining, like it's satirical, but it definitely gets dark and it'll like smack you across the face a few yeah. times, I think. Um, but yeah, so then when I was thinking about like publishing it, um, I definitely had this fear that like even if one person read it and took it in the wrong way, either because I didn't write it in a well enough way or because maybe just the place they were in, uh, they misinterpreted it. Like, I don't want to have that on my and I don't want to put that into the world that someone would succumb to the darkness that I'm talking about. Um, but then the argument against that and what pushed me to publish the book is that I think that I think that a lot of people are in really dark places. And so it's the opportunity cost of not publishing is, I mean, it's what you do with your podcast is just putting yourself out there and your experiences and starting the conversation around mental health. Um, I think it's a very powerful thing. And it's amazing, um, you know, once you, when you talk to people about mental health and you open, it's kind of like the suicide door. Once you breach that, this kind of dark, dark area, it's amazing what people will start talking and opening up to you about, even just like depression and anxiety and like, just like smaller things that I think, I mean, depression, everyone goes through at some point in their life. Some people have it in more chronic ways than others, but once you broach certain topics, I think everyone's rushing to kind of come to you because they've been waiting, they've been holding this stuff in, they've been waiting to talk about it. And it's just kind of a little taboo. You can't really talk about it. So that's definitely the goal of the book is to kind of really go to that dark place and say, 
a lot of people are here. A lot of people are really struggling and living really painful lives, right? So then once we can get to that dark place, we can talk about, you know, why is that? And then we can talk about what can we do about it, right? I have so many questions. I'm loving this interview. Um, What does mental (laughs) health mean to you? That's a great question. Um, It's such a hard... I mean, to me, I think I think that it's such a broad phrase, mental health, that like if you take a hundred thousand people, you'll get ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine different answers. Like, if not a hundred thousand, it's just um, it's tough. So for me, um, I think it boils down a lot to. Well, I guess I'll I'll start with. um, I would say we were. talking about this before where there's kind of a differentiating factor between mental illness and mental health. And so I would say I've had, I mean, thank God I'm blessed. Absolutely. Um, I've, you know, lived a great life. I haven't kind of, even as I was going through this book and I was in this really dark place, suicide was always more of a, um, kind of a concept to me than something like, it was like, I think most people probably, maybe I'm wrong, have days where they're like, damn, like life sucks. Maybe the world would be better if I wasn't worth if I wasn't living. Like maybe if I wasn't living, I wouldn't have to go through all this bullshit. Like I think a lot of people probably have those days where it's like it'd be easier if I wasn't alive. But like it's not an actual real thing that they're considering, right? Yep. So I've never really, truly, genuinely considered suicide, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, I would say that I've had a little window into kind of what mental illness is, and. It's one of the chapters late in the book. Um, this guy talks about this experience I had, uh, one of the characters. And so I, I've actually had a two, um, I think it's called a drug-induced psychosis from just marijuana. Um, I've smoked maybe like, I don't know, 50 times in my life, 100 times. And two of those times I became psychotic. So the first time I was kind of able to sleep it off and I had friends taking care of me. And then the second time, I can, I'm happy to talk about it. It was crazy wild ride yeah, um i think i was psychotic for something like 24 hours and ended up in the psych ward um really? so i would say i've had kind of like a little peek into the window of mental illness but then like all i have to do is just not smoke marijuana you know just like not like the next joint and i'm fine like i that's not something i have to battle with so you know if someone if it's like whatever it is schizophrenia bipolar any other mental health issue to have either that on a day-to-day basis or the fear of kind of falling into that psychotic state on a day-to-day basis. Like I can't fathom, I can't imagine that. Um, Cause I'm just not, not in that place, thankfully. So when you get into mental, mental health, uh, my take on it is um, I, to me, it's, it's a lot uh, involved around kind of meaning in life and community. So I talk in the forward about um, Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, and he was a concentration camp survivor, a psychologist. Um, and so he, he said that the man's most um, essential aspect of living is the will to meaning, right? And that was in um, contrast to, you had Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, who said it was the will to power, and Sigmund Freud, who was saying it's the will to pr- pleasure. And um, so Frankel says the will to meaning. And what he, so he, he went through Auschwitz and all the concentration camps. And what he found was that the people who survived 
were the ones who found meaning in their struggle. The ones who could hold on to their hope and to say, you know, fuck the Nazis, like we're going to get through this and we're going to make it out and we're going to, you know, have kids and build to the next generation. Those are the ones who survived. Um, so, you know, then kind of when you look at our day and age, we're like, thankfully, obviously, don't have the Nazis or at least they're not in power. Maybe there's some on the fringe. Yeah, fuck unfortunately. them. Yeah, fuck them. Um, yeah, I hate to see it. Hate to see it. Yeah. Um, so if you compare it, like obviously we're not going through we're not going through the Holocaust, but we still go through our day to day lives and we still suffer just like people suffered in the most extreme circumstances. Uh, so when you look at suffering, what what Viktor Frankl says is that suffering's okay and you can bear through it as long as there's meaning in the suffering, right? Like I mean, today's Mother's Day, right? You know, if you look at a mom. She's not sleeping much in that first year, right? She's miserable a lot of the time. But, you know, and thank, you know, thanks to my mom and thanks to all the moms out there, like, they're okay with that suffering and with being miserable on three hours of interrupted sleep every night because there's an amazing amount of meaning with having your baby. Like, that's such a special connection, such a special thing to bring life into this world. And so... So one huge aspect of, of mental health is just having meaning that if you look at depression, if you look at anxiety, if you look at all those issues, you know, if you have meaning in your life, that's not going to fix your schizophrenia. It's not going to fix bipolar, right? But I think it'll help you battle through. And then the other, the other side of it for me is community. And it, that ties into meaning greatly is if you have community around you, and I think people so often find their meaning in community, right? And they find you know, just like, I mean, so I was traveling um, last summer in Europe for, I just backpacking around like by myself for three months. And my, like my bar for having a good day was if I had one good conversation with someone, just like at the train station, you know, grabbing a beer, whatever it was, if I had like one good 15 minute chat at a train station with some guy, like that was a day to me. And I think that that's really what humans are. It's like, we find meaning in those human connections, right? And so, like I was saying, if if you're going through these mental health challenges or mental illness challenges, if you have people around you who know what you're going through and you can share your life with, and more importantly, I think who you can help in their struggles, um, I think that can do great things. Sure. So that's kind of my, I guess that's my approach to it. I I love that whole answer. That's perfect. That's like so deep. Like you said, there's so many different meanings to other people and just yours was was great. Thank you for sharing with that. Um, to go back to the book a little bit, and there's always two sides of this. If I was an author, I would be so like waiting for like the first review or first critique. How do you deal with criticism yeah. as an author? It's a good question. I guess I'm still like in such an early stage of my, I guess, authorial career that like, uh, I guess I haven't had to play that game much yet, but yeah. honestly, I'm kind of looking like I still, to me, it hasn't really hit home that I'm a real author yet, um, or that I've like published a book. So I'm kind of looking forward to my first negative um, review. It's like, oh, damn, like that person like read my whole book and it upset him enough that he took the time to write this negative review. Like, and I'm just like, I mean, the, like, there's definitely fair criticisms. Like, I'm not yes. a perfect author. I'm not. John Steinbeck, you know, but, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess like, I mean, they say like all, um, what do they say? Like all publicity is good publicity. So like yep. someone took the time to read my book, like 
you know, that's a good start. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I guess just have to have faith in kind of the energy I'm bringing into the world and in my skill and my effort that I put into the book. And, um, yeah, I guess it'll be an interesting thing to, uh, to grapple with. Hopefully one day I'll have the, uh, the privilege of having negative reviews. It's a rite of passage, I feel like, because with my podcast, I'm like on Apple, I'm 4.9 out of 5. I have like one <laughs> star review, and I was like, you know what? Yeah. I needed that. I needed to be uh, back down to <laughs> yeah, earth. Sure. What well, makes it real? I would rather a 4.9 over a 5.0 any day of the week. Yep. 10 times out of 10. That makes it real. It's like, if it's 5.0, it's like, oh, this guy's mom gave him five stars. Like, yep. good stuff. You know, yeah, you exactly. need that one review. Every, see, it's like your book, Good versus Evil. You need like that one evil to keep you in check. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I was uh, talking to you about this before. Um, the cover of your book, it's like a clown, and his head is a little bit cloudy, it looks like, and he looks like he's on the phone. But I said I perceived it as he was committing suicide. Yeah, right there. If you're looking this on YouTube, it kind of looks like he's taking a gun to his head, to be bluntly about it. Yeah, it's a de- definitely an interesting um interesting take so i mean the the conceptualization of it was the clown's on the phone and then if you can look really closely and there's a guy on the bridge and he's on the phone and he's kind of contemplating whether to jump or not um yeah but i mean that's it's definitely a good take and i think art is um you know it is whatever people see it is so if that was your take you know maybe that kind of gets into the negative um connotation of the clown and the uh, suicide hotline operator in the book of um yeah of just being uh in this negative horrible place trying to convince people to kill themselves did you do the uh the artwork on that no god no 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 but uh, i worked with a good friend uh sarah silverberg um amazing artist and it was great collaborating with her and we kind of fleshed it out over a couple months and then yeah she did an amazing job um yeah i'm really really happy with how it came out you seem like a uh, straight line drawer for uh, cutting wood or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's about the extent of the skill. We tried. We were trying to learn in our um, in the timber framing class this week how to do the drawing and perspective lines, and it was all I could do, even with like a ruler, just to keep it straight. I'll, I'll keep to the words for sure. I can't. Uh, I can't even draw a straight line with a ruler myself. I. Uh, I have no oh, yeah. artistic <laughs> abilities with my hands. At all. I'm all voice. I'm all voice. Um, yeah, hey, well, it's good. Uh, it's been good listening to you for sure. What um we kind of went over this already, but I want to ask it more direct for people listening. What do you want to get across to your readers with this book? Um, it's a good question. I think what I'm hoping with the book is, for one, I guess my own journey with grappling with kind of the dark side of life. I hope that maybe other people have gone through it or people who haven't gone through it, but who have friends or family who are going through it. Um, maybe uh, it can be a good window for them just into my experiences and my uh, path. Um, and hopefully they can connect to that and gain from it. Um, yeah, I guess the main thing is just kind of putting, putting myself out there really. I mean, with this book, um really just i mean a lot of a lot of these experiences the first chapter is just like how i was feeling like coming off the breakup and um and it was like myself or a version of myself calling in going through these uh these painful times so i really tried to bear my soul as much as i could in the book and um just get to as vulnerable of a place as i could and, and yeah i hope that um 
that will resonate with people and people uh, will be able to connect with it. And then, yeah, I guess on a larger scale, hopefully um, it'll be an opportunity for people to have these conversations. Like, you know, I read this crazy book about suicide hotline operator, scam people to kill themselves. Like, what do you think about that? Like, yeah. And then hopefully, you know, people have these conversations. Like, um, yeah, I think most people probably, well, a lot of, another reason I kind of wrote the book is that suicide. So the, the epigraph I have of the book, um, the quote I started with is from, uh, Goethe, the uh, German author. And his quote is, uh, suicide, however much may already have been better done about it is an event of human nature that demands everyone's sympathy and it should be dealt with anew in every era. And so I think when you think about suicide, it really feels like, and statistically, it seems like it bears out that we're doing a pretty bad job of um, keeping our people alive. Like people are not—they're struggling so much that a lot of people are committing suicide these days. And so I was reflecting on that, and I brought it back in the forward. Like, why is that? Why are we doing so much worse than our ancestors did? Right? And I think a lot to me, a lot of that boils down to the community aspect, where. And Nietzsche, Nietzsche is talking about it. he's famous for um, his God is dead thing. He's writing about that in the 1860s or something around there. And so I think once the Western world kind of moved past religion, we've had a very hard time replacing it in terms of community. Because religion, you know, if you're going to your church or your synagogue once a week at least, that's an amazing place just to see, you know, your neighbors and to build this community and there's a lot of different practices around funerals and about around weddings and all these different life events that bring people together. I think that as the Western world has gotten more atheistic, <clears throat> I think our communities have really degraded and people just don't have those human connections that make life worth living. Um, and so to me, that's one of the main things that I'm passionate about. I mean, I'm, I love farming, I love building and my, my dream is kind of bring those two together and, you know, start a farm somewhere and bring people together and just get people outdoors and working as a team, you know, for common goals, you know, putting up buildings and growing vegetables or whatever it is. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy how poorly we've been doing in those aspects. So that's definitely my biggest goal in life and in the book is to hopefully build community and, uh, you know, just bring people together. I was, my next question was going to be, why should people buy the book? But I think you already nailed it on the head. So <laughs> they go on Amazon to buy the happy hotline. All right. Um, how long did it take you to write that book? It's a good question. I spent um, about three months doing the first draft of it with some, I was living with some buddies in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, and then I spent, I kind of sat on it for, for maybe a year or so. And I spent another three or four months just reading it, I don't know, anywhere between 50 and 100 times, just editing it and ironing it out and getting it till I was really completely happy with it. How proud are yeah. you of it? Thank you. Oh, how, how uh, I thought you were saying you were proud of me. Well, uh, I'm proud of you too, man. I, dude, between <laughs> being a photographer, lumberjack, mental health advocate, like you do it all, man. I'm very proud of you. I'm trying, I'm trying, trying. Um, appreciate that though. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm definitely proud of it. Um, I think that, yeah, it's been amazing. You know, I'm starting kind of with friends and family, getting it out to them and trying to do the marketing game. And I appreciate you having me on. And, yeah, for um, sure. yeah, it's been great. It's been great having, you know, people text me about different parts they are in the book and different parts that are hard for them to get through. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. Um, 
kind of just putting it out there and uh yeah and getting people's reactions for sure fantastic good so let's let's wrap up a little bit and i do this with all my guests if you had to be like say like you were a wrestler boxer whatever you came out to a ring to a crowd of people what theme song would be playing for joe cutler yeah for sure it's a good question you know you you uh you think in the kind of the wwe fighter terms to me like i grew up on baseball so i'm out all about Ooh, the, the batter okay. walking up so thing is like i i love the old like bob dylan paul simon like old guys and you know if i'm facing like a 95 mile per hour fastball i don't have much chance of hitting it so i think i probably go with some bob dylan song and just like get the pitcher confused a little bit like that's not a pump-up song like, what's this guy doing yeah um there's one song I like. Uh, it's called Not Dark Yet. I guess it goes well uh, with the yeah. themes of this book. Um, yeah, so I just, I, I'm hoping that the pitcher gets confused and throws me a walk, you know, and I can uh, kind of tr- try it down to first base with that one. Yeah, you're very chill. You're very relaxed. You're, I can see you walking up and laying down a bunt, but then you just walk across <laughs> and you're safe anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. All right. And what are three things that you're grateful for today, Joe? It's a good question. Um, well, it being Mother's Day, got to um, definitely family and friends. My mom, big support. Uh, the people in my life, absolutely. Um, they're one of my good friends as I was writing this book. Um, and as I was kind of just going through this dark time um, after going through the breakup, was uh, he gave me a great piece of advice. He's like, you got to take everything as a blessing. You know, whatever it is, you know, you can only take it for the best. And, um, yeah, just having those people around me who care about me is such a special thing. Just having even one person, if not many, who care about you and genuinely, you know, see that you're struggling and want to help you is an amazing thing. So absolutely, it's probably, it's got to be what I'm most grateful for. Um, definitely grateful for my body and my health and being able to do these cool, these cool, um, you know, building, building stuff and farming and getting to be outdoors um yeah and the freedom to travel and um go out to cool parts of the country and the world um yeah i mean there's i could spend hours uh talking about what i'm grateful for i mean very blessed part two the joe the joe cutler uh thankful grateful hour (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, for sure i mean just one hour might not be enough but i meant to say this earlier divorced parents make the best kids man so i'm with you on that yeah, there you go. Yeah. There's definitely, uh, yeah, I guess it depends. I mean, I was very lucky that my parents were very amicable about it. They very much care. I mean, I know people can get brutal with it, absolutely. So I'm very, very fortunate that my parents still put us first, me and my brother. And um, yeah, it uh, makes for an interesting, you know, the best is uh, is the homework excuses. You always, I never did homework once, you know, as a kid. I was like, Oh, I left the home my math homework at my mom's house. And what's what's the teacher gonna say? What's it like? Oh, like I mean, there's nothing you can say to that. So that was definitely a good excuse growing up for sure. You're a very smart man, my friend. Um, all right, everybody, go out there, go to Amazon, buy the happy hotline. Joe, where can everyone find you on the internets? Um, I don't do too much social media and stuff, but I have a website, joecutler.com. Um, yeah, you can find the book on Amazon and um yeah, love to uh, hear any any reviews, responses people have about the book, and hopefully, um, yeah, we can all kind of come together a little more in the world and uh, 
work on work on fixing this mental health issue that a lot of people are going through. So just help each other out and hopefully one day at a time we'll, we'll get to a better place. My favorite lumberjack, Joe, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on. We'll definitely chat again soon, my friend. Appreciate it. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.